The reading this morning, or on now, great. The reading this morning uh, is on page 1074 of the Church Bibles, and it will be John chapter 8, verses 31 to 58. To the Jews who had believed in him, Jesus said, If you hold to my teaching, you are really my disciples. Then you will know the truth, and the truth will set you free. They answered him, We are Abraham's descendants, and have never been slaves of anyone. How can you say that we shall be set free? Jesus replied, Very truly I tell you, everyone who sins is a slave to sin. Now a slave has no permanent place in the family, but a son belongs to it forever. So if the son sets you free, you will be free indeed. I know you are Abraham's descendants, yet you are looking for a way to kill me, because you have no room for my word. I am telling you what I have seen in the Father's presence, and you are doing what you have heard from your father. Abraham is our father, they answered. If you were Abraham's children, said Jesus, then you would do what Abraham did. As it is, you are looking for a way to kill me, a man who has told you the truth that I heard from God. Abraham did not do such things. You are doing the works of your own father. We are not illegitimate children, they protested. The only father we have is God himself. Jesus said to them, If God were your father, would you love me? For I have come here from God. I have not come on my own. God sent me. Why is my language not clear to you? because you are unable to hear what I say. You belong to your father, the devil, and you want to carry out your father's desires. He was a murderer from the beginning, not holding to the truth, for there is no truth in him. When he lies, he speaks his native language, for he is a liar and the father of lies. Yet because I tell the truth, you do not believe me. Can any of you prove me guilty of sin? If I am telling the truth, why don't you believe me? Whoever belongs to God hears what God says. The reason you do not hear is that you do not belong to God. The Jews answered him, Aren't we right in saying that you are a Samaritan and demon-possessed? I am not possessed by a demon, said Jesus, but I honor my father, and you dishonor me. I am not seeking glory for myself, but there is one who seeks it, and he is the judge. Very truly I tell you, whoever obeys my word will never see death. At this they exclaimed, Now we know that you are demon-possessed. Abraham died, and so did the prophets, yet you say that whoever obeys your word will never taste death. Are you greater than our father Abraham? He died, and so did the prophets. Who do you think you are? Jesus replied, If I glorify myself, my glory means nothing. My Father, whom you claim as your God, is the one who glorifies me. Though you do not know him, I know him. If I said I did not, I would be like a liar, like you. But I do know him and obey his word. Your father Abraham rejoiced at the thought of seeing my day. He saw it and was glad. You are not yet fifty years old, they said to him, and you have seen Abraham. Very truly I tell you, Jesus answered, before Abraham was born, I am. Let's pray together. Our Father in heaven, as we come to these words, please, by your spirit, give us understanding. Please change and shape us for your glory, we pray. Amen picture is going to appear on the screen and I wonder what you see as you see that picture. <laughs> Nothing. There we go. It's quite hard to see actually but if I get any bigger it just gets blurrier and blurrier. That is a still from the film The Hunger Games which I'm sure many of us would have seen and in The Hunger Games in the districts basically people are forced to do whatever those over them tell them to do they have no freedom, they're lined up, they're dressed in plain clothes, and they're told exactly what they have to do. 
It's a picture of slavery. And yet, while this is going on in the district, what's going on in the capital, which is going to appear in a second, is a kind of the high life. Enjoying delicious food time after time after time. But one thing the film is trying to, I think, convince us of is that that actually isn't really that much better. So what the people in the capital do is they're enjoying all of these delicious meals is they kind of eat these delicious meals and then they force themselves to throw up so they can eat the next delicious meal. Time after time after time, they just have to indulge their desires. And I think the point is that might look on the surface like a much more joyful way of living, but it's slavery too. Those at the top are enslaved by something outside of themselves, the authorities. Those at the bottom are enslaved by something inside of themselves, their own desires that they have to fulfill. And so the question Hunger Games raises for us is what really is freedom? If it's neither of those, if it's neither being told what to do, nor is it indulging our desires, what is freedom? What does it mean to be truly free? We live in a society that loves freedom. You see it across the political spectrum, don't you? So those on the left of the political spectrum, they talk a lot about freedom, and they talk about freedom from unjust structures and oppression. Those on the right of the political spectrum, they talk about freedom from government interference and regulation. But what do they both agree on? The great goal is freedom. Our society loves freedom. You see it in politics. You see it in Disney. What are so many Disney films basically about? The main character breaking free from what's been imposed on them to truly be themselves. And that is when they're finally happy. Most re in recent years, probably Elsa is the most famous example of that, who breaks free from the, what she's been told she has to do and to keeping back that magic, and then she can finally express herself. But you see it in so many other Disney films as well. We live in a society that loves freedom, and so it looks at Christianity, and as it looks at Christianity, what it says is that doesn't look very much like freedom. That looks an awful lot more like oppression, drudgery, slavery, being told what to do the whole time, being forced to live a certain way. It looks at Christianity, and maybe this is what you think, and it looks so it says it's so plain, so limited, so gray. The fun and the joy of life are sucked away. Every single person in our world longs for this sense of freedom. Freedom from oppression. Freedom from the expectation of others. Freedom from drudgery. And the question is, where do we find it? And the Bible has an answer. But it's not an answer we would instinctively expect. Look down with me at verse 31. Jesus said, if you hold to my teaching, you really are my disciples. Then you will know the truth, and the truth will set you free. What is Jesus saying? He is saying that holding to his teaching leads to freedom. Just think about that for a second. Doing what someone else tells you to do is what sets you free. That's pretty counterintuitive, isn't it? That's not what we naturally think. We don't naturally think that doing what someone else tells us 
will be freeing. But time and time again, that is the Bible's constant message. To be free is to listen to another. The book of the Bible that speaks the most about freedom is probably the book of Exodus, where God's people literally start in slavery in Egypt and are set free from that slavery. The Exodus motif has been picked up by so many liberation movements over the years. But here's what's interesting in how so many of them talk. They remember the first half of what Moses said to Pharaoh. Let my people go. They remember that we are to be set free from something, but they forget the second half of what Moses said to Pharaoh. Do you remember what he said? Let my people go so that they may worship me. Freedom in the Bible is not just freedom from something. It's always freedom for something. Here's how one author puts it. It's going to appear on the screen. God frees his people not so that they can serve no Lord, but so that they can serve the true Lord. That is freedom as God sees it. Not freedom to do whatever you want, but freedom to serve the true Lord. And at that point, you might think, is this just a big word play? Is this just a big trick? Is Jesus basically saying, well, I know people like the, the idea of freedom, so what I'm going to do is tell them that what I'm offering them is freedom, when actually what I'm offering them is servitude. I'm going to tell them that it's freeing, but really it's just a big power play with words. No. This is true freedom. Here's how another author puts it really helpfully. Genuine liberty is not just a matter of freedom from things that might restrict our autonomy. So genuine liberty is not just about being set free from things that stop me doing what I want. But genuine liberty is freedom to choose the things that cause us to flourish and become what we were originally created to be. True freedom is not freedom to do whatever we want. It is freedom to do what is best for us. It is freedom to live as we were truly made to live, and that only finds as, we only find that as we live God's way. Think about the goldfish for a moment. It is not freedom for the goldfish to jump out of the goldfish bowl. That is not freedom. That is death. The goldfish bowl is not restricting the freedom of the goldfish. It's keeping the goldfish alive. If the goldfish accepts who it has been made to be, it lives. If it tries to break free of who it's been made to be, it dies. So too with us. Genuine freedom is not freedom to do whatever we want. It is freedom to do what is best. And we know that in ourselves, when we indulge what we want, we so often regret it, don't we? In the moment, we want to get angry at that person because we want our way. And then we hate ourselves for shouting at someone we loved. In that moment, we click that link because we think what's going to come the other side of it is going to satisfy us. And then we're racked with guilt and shame. Doing what we want isn't freedom. True freedom is found in doing what is best for us. And so Jesus says, verse 34, Very truly I tell you, everyone who sins is a slave to sin. That is our natural status. We are naturally slaves to our desires. 
Christopher Hitchens says, religion is the desire to be a slave. Jesus says everyone is a slave to their desires by nature. But he says there is a way to be set free from that slavery. Not set free to do whatever you want, but set free to do what is best for you. Set free to flourish the way God made you to flourish. And that way is found as we hold to Jesus' teaching. Because those who hold to it see the world rightly. They see themselves rightly. They see God rightly. And so they understand what it is to live the way we were made to live. And that freedom is glorious because it is a freedom that as we seek to live God's way, we know we have a secure status. Look down at verse 35. A slave has no permanent place in the family, but a a son belongs to it forever. The son doesn't get kicked out of the family for poor performance. The son doesn't have annual appraisals. The son doesn't have a line manager who could fire him if he's not doing his job properly. The slave, the worker, has all those kind of things. But in the, in the family, the son is not treated like that. So true, too, with those who have been set free by Jesus. They have a permanent place in the house, not based on what they've done, not needing to prove themselves, not needing to merit their place. That is true freedom. Freedom to live as we were meant to live without the pressure to perform the whole time because we know that God has set us free. The first question this passage asks us is, who is truly free? And the answer, those who have been set free by Jesus. The second question this passage asks us is, who is your father? Who is your father? Look down at verse 38. Jesus sets up a contrast between two different fathers. He says, I'm telling you what I've seen in the Father's presence, and you are doing what you have heard from your Father. Jesus says he was in the Father's presence. He was in God's, the Father's presence. But these people in front of him, they are not doing what the Father says. They are doing what they've heard from their Father. They dispute, they say, Abraham is our Father. We're just doing what Abraham said. But Jesus shows that that is not the case. Verse 39, if they were Abraham's children, they would do as Abraham did. Abraham, the father of God's people, Abraham, the one who listened to God and obeyed him, those who are truly Abraham's children respond to God that way. But they do not respond to God and the one whom he has sent that way. Instead, they are looking to kill Jesus, verse 40. Jesus says, Abraham is not your father. You are doing the works, verse 41, of your own father. This riles up his hearers, and so his hearers say, we're not illegitimate children. And you just wonder, don't you, given the question marks around Jesus' birth, people would have known that it wasn't that ordinary. People would have known that Mary wasn't married when she conceived. You wonder if they're having a little dig at Jesus, don't you? We're not illegitimate children. You are. Who are you to tell us? Either way, What they're making clear is they see themselves as God's true people. And Jesus then lays it out clearly. You're not God's people. Verse 42, if God were your father, you would love me, for I have come from God. If you love God, you you would love the one whom God has sent. 
and you do not love the one whom God has sent, therefore you do not love God. Instead, you have a different father. In verse 44, he finally tells us who that father is. You belong to your father, the devil. His point is simply that how you act shows your family lineage. My guess is that many of us will have phrases, idioms that we use only because they were used by our parents. We say them to other people assuming they're quite normal things to say and people look completely blank at us. What does that mean? All of us have things we say or things we do which show where we come from. So too with these people. The way they act shows where they truly come from. They come from the devil. And here, Jesus says two things particularly about the devil. He is a murderer and he is a deceiver. Both of which we saw back in the Garden of Eden. Think back to Eden. What does he say to Eve? If you eat of this fruit, you shall not surely die. That is deceit. That is a lie. And it leads to Eve's death and the death of all humanity after that. The devil is a deceiver. The devil is a murderer. And as Jesus looks at those in front of him, he sees those two character traits. They refuse to believe the truth, the one whom God has sent. They are liars. They seek to kill the one whom God has sent. They desire to be murderers. These people in front of Jesus act in line with how the devil acts. And so they are children of the devil. And that sounds really jarring, but it is what God says. And Jesus' point is bigger than just these people there in front of him that day. If you go back to Genesis 3, God talks about two groups of people. The offspring of the woman and the offspring of the serpent. Those two groups of people run all the way through human history, opposed to one another. Those who follow God and his ways, those who follow Satan and his ways, those are the only two families in the world. And Jesus says, if you do not accept him, the one whom God has sent, you stay in your natural place, a child of the serpent, a child of the liar, a child of the father of lies. And we know that's our natural state because all of us lie. I can't imagine any of us in this room would happily stick up their hand and say they've never told a lie, never exaggerated to win an argument, never overstated to impress others, never been quite selective with the truths that they say and the truths that they don't say to try and strengthen their position. We are by nature liars, children of the father of lies. Jesus in these words has said two pretty shocking things about humanity when you stop and think about it. He has said, by nature, every human is a slave to sin and every human is by nature a child of the devil. And the question is, what gives Jesus the right? What gives him the right to talk like that about us? Look down at verse 46. Jesus says, can any of you prove me guilty of sin? If I'm telling the truth, why don't you believe me? His test of whether we should believe him is whether anyone can prove him guilty of sin. He sets a challenge to his hearers. He says, if you can prove me guilty of sin, don't believe what I'm saying. 
These people are desperate to find any reason to not believe what Jesus is saying. And their silence in response to that challenge is deafening, isn't it? All they would have needed to find was one little white lie. All they would have needed to find is one time Jesus inappropriately lost his temper. All they would have needed to find is one time Jesus gossiped behind someone's back. And they could have proved him guilty of sin and justified not believing in him. But they can't. Jesus was utterly perfect. And so he is the only one with the right to tell us what we're really like. Because he's the only one who isn't like that. He was never a slave to sin. He was never a child of the devil. He is truly a child of his father. And so he has the right to tell us what we're like. And so we have to ask the question, will we accept Jesus' verdict, his assessment of our natural state? Will we recognize that that is what we are like? Because if we do, wonderfully, he doesn't leave us there. Because there is a second option for who your father is. And it's this, verse 47, whoever belongs to God, hears what God says. Those who believe in God, those belong to him, those who hear what he says belong to him. You don't have to stay a slave to sin. You don't have to stay in the lineage, in the family of Satan. No, you can be set free from those things. You can belong to God if you respond rightly to his words. His words that say that my son has come into the world. He's come into the world to set people free from their slavery to sin. To bring people from darkness into light. Through my death. If you believe in him, you are set free. If you believe in him, you are moved from Satan's family to being a child in the house of God, a permanent place with God forever. If that isn't a move that you've made, it is a move you need to make. And for those who have, these words are really helpful, I think, in showing us what we are to expect in our battle with Satan in this world. Satan has been defeated, but not fully yet. At the cross, Jesus triumphed over him. But he's still active in our world today. And these words help us to understand how he is active in our world today. Look again at verse 44. It ends, when Satan lies, he speaks his native language. For he is a liar and the father of lies. The primary way Satan works in our world is through lies. The voice in our head that convinces us that that thing is good when it really isn't. The voice in our head that tells us that God won't really mind. The voice in our head tells us that we deserve that thing. And so we believe that voice. We need a healthy skepticism about the voices in our head. Not a sense of we can't believe anything we ever hear in our own heads, but a healthy skepticism even when that thing that is in our heads seems on the surface to be good and right, we just need to be a bit wary, don't we? Because Satan, we're told, masquerades as an angel of light. He is an expert deceiver who will use any means necessary, who will dress things up by any means necessary to convince us to do what is not right to do. He's an expert liar. And so as we're to battle Satan in this world, we need to keep coming back to the truth. 
We need to hear God's words to us in the scriptures. And we need other voices around us. Other voices who, when we say, I'm thinking about this, what do you think? We'll be able to say, I don't think that does align with God's words or God's ways or how God goes about doing things. That helps us to see when that voice in our head is the world pressing in on us. When that voice in our head is our own flesh tempting us. When that voice in our head is the devil lying to us. Or when that voice in our head is God speaking to us. Who is truly free? Those set free by Jesus because they hold to his teaching. Who is your father? By nature it's Satan, the one who lies, but you can be set free from him to be brought into the household of God. And the third question this passage asks, a question that has been asked so many times in John's gospel. Who is Jesus? Verse 48. These hearers give their opinion. Aren't we right in saying you're a Samaritan and demon-possessed? Two words that would be pretty offensive. They're seeking to dismiss Jesus. They're seeking to undermine Jesus. And Jesus says, I'm not possessed by a demon. And then he makes another one of his outlandish claims, verse 51. Very truly I tell you, whoever obeys my word will never see death. And they're shocked by this. And they appeal to Abraham and the prophets. They say, Abraham, he was given God's word. He obeyed God's word and he saw death. The prophets were given God's word. The prophets obeyed God's word and they saw death. Who are you to say that whoever hears my words, obeys my word, will never see death? Who can make that kind of claim? Jesus isn't talking about physical death here. He's talking about eternal death. The one who believes in his word crosses over from death to life. He's already told us that. He says, whoever comes to him, whoever accepts his assessment of the human condition, whoever comes to him for the solution to the human condition, will not face eternal death, but will receive life and life abundant. They are appalled. They reject this. They say, are you greater than our father Abraham? They say, who do you think you are, Jesus? And Jesus says, of course I'm greater than your father, Abraham. Who do I think I am? Look down at verse 58. Very truly I tell you, before Abraham was born, I am. That is possibly Jesus' clearest claim to divinity in John's gospel. If Jesus' point was about time, about chronology, about age, he would have said, before Abraham was born, I was. He doesn't. And it's not because he's bad at grammar. I am is God's name. Before Abraham was born, before Abraham ever came into this world, Jesus says he was God. He always has been God. He has eternally existed as God. That's who he is. That's why he's greater than Abraham. Because he's not merely a man. He is God walking on earth. And they respond, verse 59, exactly as Jesus said they would. He twice told them they were seeking to kill him. Verse 59, they picked up stones to stone him. But Jesus found a way to hide himself and slipped away from the temple grounds. And you just wonder at that point, is that an echo back to God's glory leaving the temple? 
What happens in the Old Testament? God's people reject God, and so God's presence leaves the temple. God's people reject Jesus. And Jesus, the presence of God on earth, leaves the temple in judgment on those who have rejected him. This passage asks us three big questions. Each of those questions has been answered in reality-altering ways. The first question, who is truly free? And we find out that true freedom is not found in doing what we want. True freedom is instead found in doing what is best for us. It may be tempting to believe that true freedom is found in doing whatever we want. We may think that is the key to life. But no, true freedom is found in Jesus' teaching. The only thing that enables us to live and flourish the way we were made to. We asked, who is your father? We were told by nature we were children of the devil. We were liars like our father, opposed to the truth. And yet we are able to join a different family. We are able to have a permanent place in the house. We are able to belong to God if we hear what Jesus has to say to us. Thirdly, we ask that big question, who is Jesus? He is the great I am. He is God incarnate, the one who speaks perfect truth, the one who sets free, the one whose word saves us from death. And so the simple question for us is, how will we respond to Jesus' words? This is the word that sets us free. This is the word that can change which family we're in. This is the word that saves from death. We've heard it this morning. We'll keep on hearing it in days, weeks, and months to come. When we do, will we hold on to this word, knowing it's the only thing that sets us free? Will we believe this word rather than believing the lies of the evil one? And will we obey this word, knowing that as we do, we will be saved from death? Let me do this in prayer. Our Father in heaven, we do long that we would respond rightly to your words. Thank you that it is a free 